Welcome to the Truthiverse. My name is Brendan D. Murphy. This is where we unleash truth and freedom with no holds barred, no fear, and no limits. Come and evolve beyond the matrix with me and thrive, not just survive. This is a realm of empowering, uncommon awareness. This is my Truthiverse. If you're a discerning, open-minded, and dedicated seeker who loves a good deep dive into the nature of reality and consciousness, then do check out my book, The Grand Illusion, composed of over 10,000 hours of research and experience. Find more information and reader reviews at brendandmurphy.com slash TGI. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome to this episode of Truthverse, episode 45. I'll be joined by Ace of Santiago, who's based in the US. He is a nutritional dietary wizard who I connected with uh, on Facebook uh, not that long ago, actually. And I was struck by the density of and breadth of knowledge that he had in his posts. I was like, oh, wow, this guy has clearly been doing a lot of study. And I thought, you know, great, I can get, get him on and ask him a million different questions about the things that I'm interested in um, and don't have the same amount of knowledge as he does. So uh, young dude, got a lot of passion, a lot of knowledge. He studies every day and... Um, really has quite detailed quite detailed knowledge um, in some very obscure areas around diet nutrition and you know that obviously that branches out into quite technical and obscure places so uh, quite a compelling conversation we covered a bunch of dietary stuff definitely not the usual conversation uh, which is one of the re- one of the reasons I got him on because it's not he's not um, you know on to push one of these these dogmas uh, one of these fads that you see floating around uh, we'll learn his journey how he got to where he got to how he uh, resolved his health issues how he approaches um, parasites and problematic microbes um, his basic philosophy on food detoxing uh, approaches to allergies causes of allergies gut health um, we talked about antibiotics and the problems with them uh, the importance of animal fats. We talked about ketosis, um, and you know some of this might sound like, oh yeah, you know I've heard this before, but maybe you haven't heard it like this. And um, I I value that about Asa. He is um, yeah, he's a phenomenal source of information. So we covered heaps of stuff. We covered heaps of stuff. I think I don't know how long the episode goes for exactly, but uh, it was definitely more than ninety minutes. I think it might be more than like an hour and three quarters possibly. Um, so we covered a lot. It takes a little while to get going. Uh, we sort of meandered through his his personal journey and story and built up to the sort of meat, the meaty part of the interview. And then once we got there, the rocket launched and it was, you know, he was all guns blazing. Um, yeah, very on, very on point, very focused. You know, he got in the zone and, um, you know, I just let him, let him go for it. So um, I think you'll enjoy it. I definitely did. There was a lot of information. I'm probably going to need to come back and re-watch or re-listen to it for my own benefit. <laughs> and uh, what else? Let me let me see. What am I forgetting here before I let you um, launch into it? Uh, no, I think I've covered most. All right. Well, episode 45 of Truthiverse, Ace of Santiago joins me. Remember to subscribe, uh, like, share the information if you find it useful. And in the meantime, I will see you out and about or insidetruth.network. The reason why I started is trying to help heal people and be able to survive at the same time. Like, uh, I feel like I'm on this mission to just really try to change the world the best I can, and I'm functional about that mindset. So I think that the root cause of all of our problems is health. Like, if you were to get the vast population of people, regardless of their more fault, if they have more of like a follower mindset, if they're healthy, they're a lot more discerning, you know, 
the, the, I, the reason why I came into this is because when I started going through this diet and changing my life and healing myself, my brain fog abated to whole other levels to the point that I became a lot more awake. Like I could see patterns that were uh, seemingly non-existent exist. And uh, my logic increased and I was able to see more broadly. And so I want that for other people. I think a lot of people are suppressed in their thinking because they just they just can't get there. They're just mental blocks. Like if you heal, even with just nutrition functionally, you can become a different person in your mindset, your mood and your spiritualism and everything. And uh, I've always been very logical. It's hard for me to even believe in something like God, but like I've really become more spiritual also since healing too. So it's multifactorial. It's huge. And so I'm, I think it's very important that people get to a new threshold in health. Like a lot of people aren't fully aware of this. And even my truth or friends, we tend to disagree on a lot of things and that's okay. Um, but you know, I try to be the best contender in that realm. I debate PhDs, natural doctors, registered dietitians, everyone I can find to essentially, you know, push the marker forward on the truth behind actual metabolic health and what's needed to get to a better state where you can abate the pathogens or, or get rid of the heavy metals and, or the xenobiotics within the body that essentially are causing what are called disturbances within what's a systems biology model. Um, systems biology is kind of like, say for instance, you're a diesel mechanic, you have to have some kind of a systems mindset to do that. Uh, you'd have to understand what each, what each component of the engine or the, the chasis, whatever, like every part of the vehicle you have to understand has a construct and a system to it. So um, I learned a I took this on more seriously after I, I um, did a little bit of work for Dr. Shiva. Um, he was kind of pushing the, the system science perspective. He's saying that it applies to politics too. You can see corrupt government form through a system science model. It's not easy for people to understand, but if you were to take it a little more broad and you were to look at things like you're a tree is a system, like a tree, like the, its root system and its, and its branches, uh, these can be seen as like the the whole structure of uh, the system, and 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 with within it are these inputs and outputs, and then there's disturbances. Like some trees, their whole species can be like wiped out by one fungus, right? You could see that as a disturbance, right? Um, and or one fungus in one area. I wouldn't say that the whole species across the world, but um, some fungi can get within a tree and just destroy it, and I believe this is similar with people, um, but ours is a little more benign and a little more commensal. Uh, commensal means that they're kind of there to, to exist, uh, but they supply the body with some benefits so that the immune system isn't seeing them as like complete enemies. They're not necessarily pathogenic, but they're opportunistic. Um, but that's, and to bridge it right into that is that uh, that's more my specialty is the, the microbes um, and their natures. Um, and I, I wrote a whole scientific theory on that. It's called the uh, opportunism theory. Uh, I haven't fully re released it. I have a, it's on a, it's uh, in a beta stage right now. Um, I'm just having other professionals close to me, uh, read it with me and get their backing, uh, before we try to move forward with like publishing it in a journal. Um, so I'm very serious about that particular process because 
anyway, that, I'm going into like a whole thing here. I apologize. I uh, remember when she that one shake said in the comment, like you had him at tangent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like uh, that. I'll just I, I go on like a machine gun without any ends of the bullets. Like, but anyway, so that's my whole thing. I was sick. I got into alternative medicine to heal myself because, and I was also didn't realize how sick I was. I was just trying to fix my superficial health because I wanted to get more women. <laughs> and so I did. Yeah, as good, as good a reason as any, my brother. <laughs> and now that I'm in this world, I'm realizing that's what everyone's reason is. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's something, it's always something superficial. Like I, I want to have better mental health so I can fit in with my family better. Or I, I want to, you know, live longer so I can see more of my family or I want to uh, be more, more virile. So I'm good with the ladies or I want my skin to look good. So women are attracted or whatever. It's like, it's always something that has to tie into society. And there are obviously those extremely rare few who go out into the wild and would be okay there forever and never see a human again for the rest of their lives. I mean, some people are like that. A lot of times it has to do with trauma. Sometimes it has to do with their nature, but like, I'm not that person. I'm way more extroverted. I'm, I'm like forced to be around people. Uh, so anyway, it's just the whole thing. But yeah, I healed myself. Now here I am. And I still have more to do for sure. Uh, there's some things that I haven't perfected yet, but I'm working on them. They're something that it's just, it's crazy how you can self-heal to this capacity. Like the things that I've healed, I'm like, wow, you know, why didn't doctors talk about this? That's what really woke me up. Like, that's what made me realize, holy crud, like the system's corrupt. You guys have billions of dollars invested into your work and me for free <laughs> managed to figure out the answer to healing all of these diseases. Like there's something seriously wrong with me. Like that's what's, some, that, see that connection was something that, uh, <laughs> I think some of my, and I don't mean to insult my friends who are ASD, but sometimes they can't connect those dots. Yep. And I guess in a lot of ways, like I'm, I'm happy to be in this position because I can connect those dots for people. They just kind of have to trust me. And that's the hard part without like a medical degree or any kind of degree for that matter. I was unschooled. So I, I just have to feel like, well, I, I mean, here's thousands of epidemiology papers that I've read. I mean, there's that. But, but I still have been working on getting those together. I have them all in bookmarks. And I had to like pay someone to put them in some kind of like, or like a PDF. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, uh, I, go ahead. That was it. Like my, that's my whole thing. I had this big vision on it. But, well, yeah. let's, let's, um, let, we can, we can touch on that um, and whatever you want. Uh, I want to, if I can, is it possible to, um, talk about some of your specific challenges that, you know, got you on this journey in which you've sort of, you know, more or less conquered along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and also well, I want to know how exactly how you conquered them. I mean, what your protocols looked like, what your process looked like as well. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so a while back, I posted this whole story of my, my whole life and uh, I try to kind of make that, more public view for people. I, I'm a shameless person. That's why I'm really good at sales. I, I have no problem getting in someone's face, telling them literally anything on my mind. So 
but it wasn't hard for me to share my whole story. Uh, I can understand with everyone else why no one's doing that, uh, especially all the trauma victims like, you know, were similar to me. Like I had a sexual trauma happen to me once three. Okay. And that was just part of my problem. And so I developed a sexual identity around it. And for the longest time, I obviously thought it was natural, but my connect the dot brain was already going when I was 12. I was realizing very, you know, that it was not only odd, but totally unnatural what I was liking, you know, as compared to every other kid who was like me. I'm like, why am I different from other kids? That doesn't make any sense. And then I looked at history and everything. And I just connected all these dots very quickly. So I just knew I was sick. I think a lot of people don't right away acknowledge or have the capacity to understand or kind of branch out to finding out that they're, they're, they're sick. And um, so I ended up uh, going through that whole thing. You know, the, the, the molestation was by the hands of a woman. Uh, so I developed these sexual proclivities towards for women who are far more domineering, like abusive. And so this is, very well known within like communities of like the BDSM world and all the alternative things within sex. Um, and I, I didn't know anything about this as a kid. I was kind of like following my desires, whatever. And obviously I was estranged because I told my friends at school, same diarrhea mouth <laughs> and they kicked me out of their group. And I was like really distraught. So my mother unschooled me after that It was middle school. So I just kind of like stayed at home and kind of taught things myself and uh, figured life out while being extremely clinically depressed and anxious. I mean, I was so anxious that I was a germaphobe, like to a, to the point of like, I was gloves on, you know, not, not really touching anyone with anything and trying to like be real far away from my friends. Like I was, people did not really like me a lot, like because of that. Um, and yeah, I was like, I was just super creating all these boundaries all the time, you know, and I didn't realize that like, you create more boundaries when you're more anxious, you're more weak, you're more like sensitive. I didn't realize that I was like that physiologically. I didn't realize it was a physiological problem at all. Um, I thought that it was just like me, you know, I'm just sensitive, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a hypercritical, I'm a, you know, hypochondriac, whatever, you know, <laughs> That's what the world that I lived in led me to believe. And that's another part as to why I feel that I've been deceived greatly. Um, but anyway, so I moved through that. I got my first job at like 18. Uh, I didn't really get rid of all the problems then, but I felt better about myself. I, I, was, I needed to attach myself to something, you know, to feel important. Kind of like why kids go join the military. They want to feel important. They want to feel included like they're doing something, you know be a part of something bigger than myself. Mm. So I did that. And then I added on to it um, because I was trying to, at the time, like I was in the mindset of killing myself and I, I just lived off of coffee. Number one, did you wow. get rid of my brain fog? <laughs> I just like coffee was helping me out a lot. So I worked for Starbucks for like three years and what else? So I ended up, for four years, four years of that, uh, I went on this whole journey to essentially abstain from sex because it was out of romance, not for God. Uh, I was just wanting to hold myself to find the right woman. Um, I was obviously so estrogenic at the time. I didn't really 
you know, it, it didn't really work out anyway. Like even if I went and tried to go and date someone, I probably would have it up, but I just altogether abstained. And I also said to everyone, I was gonna become the president. And I just went with that. Like I was literally like trying to get into politics without knowing anything about politics. I was just like, well, I know what's right. So I don't care what all the inner workings are. I'm just going to do it, you know? And I did that for four years. And that was like the hardest job of my life too. Starbucks, like people think it's easy to like go and serve coffee at a window, but literally they take every second of your day from you uh, when you're there or every moment, there's no break. You get a break during your 10 minute breaks, you get a break during your 30 minute breaks. And when you're a ship supervisor, you're urged not, you're like, you're almost incentivized to not even take some of those 10 minute breaks. But like when, like, for instance, you have to like brew coffee every like 30 minutes. Yeah, It's on a timer, this big thing of coffee, you have to grind the coffee, put it in the basket, brew it. And that takes like five minutes. And then you go back to the register to, to ring people up, ring people up, ring people up, clean the counter, clean the counter, clean the counter, you know, like <laughs> keep everything really nice at the same time and then go back through the coffee again, whatever. Like it doesn't end. And when you're a supervisor, it's even worse. But anyway, I digress. It's uh, that was still a good time for me because I, I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about myself. I had my clinical depression for sure, but it, the job kind of kept me away from that. So anyway, um, we moved to Tahoe, and this is where my health start journey started. I met this girl that I really liked. Uh, she she was like this epitome of femininity. Femininity is like kind of dead today. It's super hard to find a feminine woman. So I just, I was like head over heels, you know. But obviously, I was still somewhat estrogenic as a guy, and I didn't know that. I thought I was fine, you know. People in San Francisco area, Bay Area, all that, they were kind of like, you know, Oh, that's just you, you know. I'm like, uh, okay, well, it's not working. <laughs> and so anyway, I uh just went with it and uh tried to court her. And she was doing all kinds of things, like all the the whole she was in the drug world and, and the orgy world and the, the mega, you know, hippie living on living on the uh living on the edge, you know, always pumping the adrenaline all the time, kind of girl. And I was kind of the opposite of that. I've always been in kind of, you know, I wasn't even in a health. I was still really staunch about things. Like I still didn't go and do any of that stuff. It was just too much for me. I didn't, I like to control my mind, my mind. I don't like it to be, you know, my friends wanted me to go do psychedelics with them, you know, go on a, get on, go on a trip, talk about all these esoteric things and whatever. But I, I know I'm just, I'm not the person to do that. I'm already like throughout my elementary and uh, middle school day- years, they were calling me the stoner. I mean, it's just because my eyes were like that. Like, and then when I went, when I, and when I tried to do a little bit of uh, community college, I did for like two years, like my teachers would accuse me of coming in high and I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> and anyway, so we didn't work out. Uh, but I was so sensitive back then. I, my heart was like, literal broken status like i was it was so bad i was losing hair and i was like just becoming very ill from it i even got sick for like three or four weeks and it was bad and anyway 
I started to ponder sometime after that, like, Hey, why, why, you know, I started to think like, Oh, you know, it's naive me at the time, you know, realized, didn't realize that we're just not compatible, compatible based on lifestyle factors. But then I was just, I didn't really know. So I, I just looked at my skin. I was like, Oh, I had this chicken scratch on my skin. So I started like Googling it and I just went through the whole research. Like I'm kind of relentless about research because I'm pretty ADD. And so I obsessed about it and then I figured it out. I was like, Oh, it's a yeast infection. So I started eating in a certain way, treating myself in a certain way to abate yeast. I was like, and then all of a sudden, uh, my depression just died. My anxiety went with it. And I was like this completely different person. I'm like, what the heck just happened? And it came in tandem with like, and this is kind of TMI, but like what came out of me was this huge, massive thing of biofilm, like yellow tendrils everywhere was massive. And my depression was gone. I'm like, holy crud, like getting rid of this fungus beast is was like that thing was the root of my issues. The issues that I didn't know that I had that I thought were just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's what kind of started me into that. So I started reading at least an epidemiology uh, paper a day since then. And that was in, uh, well, I was, I was 22. So it's been almost seven years now. And uh, so I've been doing that and uh, it just kind of hasn't stopped. And about, I went through a whole journey with that. It's a very long story uh, with like, cause I, while I did abate those mental issues, I still had the sexual problems. I had the estrogen issue still. I didn't even know it was an estrogen problem. I just knew that I had those sexual proclivities still. Um, so I ended up going uh, to San Francisco at moving away from Tahoe. I had a whole journey with Tahoe and everything, but it's not really relevant to the health thing. So um, I ended up going to uh, San Francisco and trying to explore myself more to figure this stuff out and to just be a man in a lot of ways too. So I was paying my rent, get a, got a job. Um, well, I got a lot of jobs. A lot of them didn't work. I was even fired from one because I didn't fit, you know, but I ended up, uh, what was the one of the jobs? Oh, well, I actually ended up just doing marketing, event marketing. Uh, it was really nice because I could work when I wanted to. Like they're paying anywhere from like 20 to $3 an hour. And it was on usually on weekends, but sometimes on weekdays. I'll just fill my schedule out and have days off when I wanted days off. And that was fun. I liked that. It was cool. And then eventually I got a job with like a restaurant working those on weekends for tips because the tips were really great in that area. Because I was living in Marin County. It's actually north of San Francisco. Uh, it's where a lot of very wealthy people are. Uh, I've been met Robin Williams there. Um, a few others. I just can't remember their names. But uh, anyway, long story short, did the whole San Francisco thing to discover myself more. I ended up in the BDSM clubs and I found a mistress and right away. And it's very weird because statistically speaking, there's at least like a thousand dudes per one of those in that world. I mean, it's extremely competitive and it's horrific because a lot of the people who are within that whole submissive realm, they're a lot of them tend to be business professionals who have a lot of money and are very successful. And, you know, me like just going in there being this dude who's a brand ambassador, like, 
obviously I have my attractiveness, but I was still myself. Like I've always been a leader. Uh, so I had no problem approaching women. So I just approached her. And I think that's the difference between me and everyone else is like, yeah, I just hit her up, you know? <laughs> so ended up working out. She's a very, uh, I can't necessarily fully describe her because I did a whole thing with her where I signed an NDA. It was a very serious relationship because she's, uh, she was someone who was very powerful. And so I had to kind of keep her identity very, um, secret. Um, so anyway, we, we had like a, a whole thing. Um, it was very eventful, very, uh, scary for me because she was a very harsh woman. Uh, like, like if I thought I had fantasies of something, you know, online or otherwise, like she was reenacting them, but like in a more raw and real state, and it was very hard. Uh, it was like to the point, like, I felt like my soul was being wrenched from my body. It was horrific, but like some part of me really wanted it because it was so attracted to that darkness, you know, from my trauma, but I didn't realize, uh, cause along the way, we ended up kind of separating ways a little bit um, because I had screwed something up. I said her, I said like her name in public or something. And she kind of just disowned me after that. And uh, I ended up meeting this girl right after that. Like she was more of like the girlfriend version. She was extremely sadistic and she was super into that stuff. Kind of like very, like one of those, you know, autistic women you would meet at like a library or something you know um she would kill me if i said she was autistic so uh but she's not like she's just kind of got some nuances to it so i'm not gonna like say she is but there's some parts of her that kind of were like missing uh so to speak uh like kind of the emotional intelligence thing um and i'm more confirmed by that because i've actually met women who were like that who went through homeopathy and fecal banner transplant surgery to then cure themselves. They don't have that emotionless feeling anymore and are not nearly as sadistic. Um, one woman did reach out to me about that some time ago. Um, but anyway, so uh, I went that, through that with her. I was trying to, I was at the time still doing my hardcore organic paleo like diet. And that's how, that's pretty much what I was doing the four years ago. Like when I was doing the, uh, when I started when I was 22 at the time. Uh, I was, I started like an organic paleo diet. Was, was that right? Sorry, sorry to what? jump in. Was that organic paleo thing what you were doing before in order to remedy the, um, the yeast infection thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was uh, being inherently lower in sugar is more ideal, but all those practitioners at the time that I was following, like Dr. Ack were still saying you could do rice and stuff. I didn't realize that was more of my problem. Uh -huh. Um, because <laughs> biochemically I wasn't thinking in the back of my brain that carbs convert to sugar by twice the amount. And so I was like, Oh, you know, when I figured that out, it was kind of like already by the time I was, uh, discovering carnivore. Um, and it was funny cause my vegan sister was the one who recommended carnivore to me after seeing the <laughs> podcast from Joe Rogan. And I, uh, I was doing, but before that for six months, I was experimenting with raw paleo. It included raw carbs, but it was all based on a foraging standard, which is the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess you couldn't really say that rice is very paleo though, but whatever. I mean, 
<laughs> anyway, we'll have to I allow was, it. Anyway, I was I was all organic, whatever. I was very no added sugar, all that. But I was very antifungal too. So I was using things like grapefruit seed extract. I was using like coconut oil. I was using probiotics, all that, but in a messy way. Yeah, right. I mean, now for my clients, you know, when I suggest anything to them, like you want to do it more intelligently, you want to be like, what's called, so it's something called an antigenic escape. So when you, uh, you can teach these microbes what you're doing. So I tell people to take a break. You know, there's a point at which it goes too far. You don't want to go days and days and days and days, just killing yours, killing, 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 killing. Cause they go into dormancy or they don't, you know, they learn and then they start to adapt to that particular material that you're using to cleanse them with. So I always just recommend like you take a break and then you hit them again with something different afterwards. Um, and I'm finding that it's more effective post fast. So if you were to go through like a day and a half dry fast, like 36 hours, that seems to have more potency to it. Largely perhaps because they come out of hiding to go and get some food after being starved out. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah. Um, but the cleansing is only goes so far. Um, it, it, it gets you through, it gets you to like a threshold. It gets you somewhere where you need to be before you can get into something better. And that's why I believe carnivore comes in where you're just eating meat and dry fasting for your healing. Um, and that's generally what I try to get people to over a period of time. Um, but they had to do responsible carnivore. They can be very much easily done wrong. Um, and it also depends on the person too. I wouldn't say that. And I think in some, I think for some people they can jump right into carnivore while being chronic fatigue syndrome status and not fix their chronic fatigue syndrome at all. It's because chronic fatigue syndrome is linked to all kinds of problems. Yeah. And, and each person is different with that too. Like, mm-hmm. If I get if I get someone with CFS, I'm like, we got to investigate this because there's no one cause. Um, but anyway, so uh, I was doing raw paleo for six months prior, and I actually broke up with my sadistic girlfriend when I first started that six months thing because I accidentally stopped liking what she was doing. And this was a big part of my life. Um, I I was eating raw meat. And I was like, what the heck? Why is this raw meat turning me off from what she does? And my testosterone, I noticed, I, I became a little more masculine too. Um, I noticed that when I was consuming anything that upped my estrogen, it correlated with my sexual desires of being submissive towards a woman. Mm-hmm. And it made more sense to me because estrogen is kind of like the, the submissive hormone. It's the one that makes a woman want to submit to a man in any way. And so I was like, wait, so if a guy ends up getting this estrogen, theoretically, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it makes sense to me. You would obviously submit, so to speak to, especially so with like these women are more aggressive and masculine because the same happens to women too. Like they can become more masculine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so I ended up becoming compatible with women who were more masculine and it happened to be all these women who are on birth control. Um, like my, my girlfriend at the time, she was on birth control, but it, because of that, she was getting a six pack instantly. And she was also super into, uh, uh, like the pegging stuff, like into like ramming guys. Like that was her thing. It's like number one. And, and that's cool. Like, 
uh, I get it. Like everyone has their own pr- proclivities and everything, but I think it's connected to endocrine disruptor destruction. Mm-hmm. So it's cool if you want to go like my, my opinion on it is like, do your own thing, be your own person, explore your own self. But on some level, I want people to acknowledge where that might be coming from, you know, because for me, largely I've had to accept for myself that what I've been through is not natural. Like I've managed to fix it. So that means it's not natural. If you can fix it, it's not. And so I, I, I end up pissing off a lot of people when I bring up the hormone thing because everyone feels it on some level. I, it, everyone in our generation right now is like at some, in some way endocrine disrupted. It's like, there's no perfect masculine. There's no perfect feminine and that's okay. You know, when I date now, I don't expect it out of a woman. I, and for myself, I know that I'm not perfectly masculine, but I have been increasing it over the years due to dry fasting. Um, what will happen is like, I'll go to these stints of like, and I can't necessarily track it metabolically in my body, but I have theories on it. Like my beard ended up getting a bit of copper in it on, on the sides here and here. And I know that when you elevate copper too much in the body, some comes with it, some level of estrogen. Uh, copper is also known as like the metal that makes people a little more emotional. And so it makes sense, the relationship. Yeah. So perhaps my body was getting rid of some excess copper. Um, and it's funny too, that, uh, if you're, if you're burdened by yeast, like candida, which is the problem that I had, um, I also believe I have a malassezia problem. That one's what creates cradle cow. Um, but they're actually finding malassezia pathogenic as well. It can actually get into brain tissue. Um, but no one talked about that. Like they actually think it's the cause of ALS in some cases, um, but it's not explored well enough. Um, but anyway, so. It's, I know it's a scary subject, fungus in your brain, right? Yep. <laughs> that I have to, I could go off on that one for a while, but anyway, so the, the candida getting rid of that, or sorry, the candida actually can in its own way, elevate copper or want more copper in the body. It actually takes the copper and coats it on its hyphae. Uh, so when I hear these Morley Robbins, I think his name is Morley Robbins. He, you don't know. He's this guy who wrote this you know, the, the root cause protocol or something like that. And he's very pro like add copper to your diet. I think that de- it depends on the bioavailability of that copper. Right. I think the dangerous copper is the copper you're getting from plants and the good copper is the copper you're getting from something like liver. Right. Um, I, and that's my theory on it. Uh, I just know that with plant bioavailability is negligible and right. the same with like vitamin A. You get like 10% of that vitamin K from the, like from kale um, in the human body at least. Well, and so go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I want to, I want to, I don't want to cut you off on that thought, but I, one of the questions I had for you was, you know, the plant debate and there's a lot of people going in the vegan direction. Um, I spent a few years, I spent many years actually vegetarian, then transitioning into vegan uh, now, basically, Omni kind of erring towards a paleo-ish kind of approach because my partner, Amy, um, had been veg- vegetarian for 25 years since she was eight years old. And she got to a point where she was injured by um, an injection from a wonderful uh, pharmaceutical company. And then she ended up developing this uh, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And she got to the point where the paleo 
um, autoimmune paleo protocol was what actually got that under control. And so I joined, I just basically ate what she ate because I wasn't going to go into the kitchen and do my own thing when, you know, like I don't want to be in the kitchen anyway. So I'm just eating what Amy eats. Um, and I feel better. As soon as I eat some fish for the first time, I'm like, boom, I'm back in my body more. I feel more solid. I'm not as spaced out. I don't get lightheaded and all this stuff. So I've been like in the vegetarian vegan camp and I really went hard down that road. I encourage people to look into it and all this stuff years back. And I'm like, and I see the UN now is on this. The UN is uh, a stalking horse for global government, as one um, guy put it, whose name escapes me at the moment. So the UN is pushing it, which immediately raises red, red flags. Like, yeah, drop meat, forget the meat. Um, what's your take on, like, you know, plants, lectins? How many plants do you want to incorporate? Should, should, is, is vegan appropriate for anybody? You know, just a few thoughts around this might be good. Yeah. Oh, uh Man, that's that's a long one. I actually wrote a very long article on plant toxins. Cool. And the worst of the plant toxins, I'll tell you, are the legumes, the grains, the seeds, and the nuts and nightshades. So nightshades, like pretty sure potatoes, nightshade, and there's tomatoes. Um, but any of those starchy category foods are can be probably problematic. Ultimately, when it break when you break it down. Carbs are the ultimate. They're not the enemy, but they can be engineered to be your enemy. Right. Um, and that's a complicated process metabolically or through epidemiology or microbiology. It's very, very complex. But I will say that like the plant toxins have their own deleterious problem. And it's usually just the anti-nutrients for humans. Uh, the anti-nutrients are pretty significant. Um, obviously, some some plant toxins can, you know, on some spectrum create like dilated pupils, but it's very rare. And and I exaggerate that in my article, like, ha ha, you're gonna get dilated pupils. Ah, you know, like that doesn't happen. Like <laughs> you'd have to eat so much of that food. Um, and then what was the one? So I would say like in order of priority, you want to avoid oxalates. Number two would be the lectins. Oxalates and lectins, you can Google all that, but like a spinach would be a lot of oxalate. But alternatively, kale isn't a lot of oxalate. So I'm like, well, it's obviously not the green that makes it oxalate abundant. Um, it's just the, the genera of that plant. And so there are all these different kinds of plant families. Uh, I would say the, the safest plant toxins are among the alliums and the cruciferous. Mm -hmm. So you get those alliums, which are like onion, uh, garlic. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one that I use. I'm forgetting it right now, but uh, cruciferous or something that I use too uh, for some clients um, because they're all low carb. They're low carb and they're low plant toxins. They don't have the plant toxins that are the worst. Mm -hmm. They have them, the ones that are manageable. So FODMAPs are a problem. Okay. Uh, and then there's the, the goitrogens. Those are both within alliums and cruciferous. So uh, I would say, well, okay, the FODMAPs are generally within the alliums mostly. And then the cruciferous would be the goitrogens. So goitrogens, uh, you know, you've heard, have you heard of a goiter? You know, it's kind of like, you know, yep. you can get this kind of cyst-like. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> goitrogens. Uh, that can happen if you were to eat too much broccoli and Chris, uh, and, uh, or, or cauliflower, technically people get that. If, but if you get enough iodine in your diet, it's fine. Cool. So those vegans who end up eating a lot of sea kelp or sea moss or whatever, 
and they get I, a relative amount of iodine in their diet, they can, in a way, abate the goitrogen issue if they're eating a lot of cruciferous. So I know that there's a lot of vegans who eat it their diet responsibly, even raw. And I believe raw is the component by which people achieve glorious skin, glorious hair. Um, I think this just has to do with the enzymes somewhere along those lines. Um, but ultimately, in that sense, you are what you eat. So if you eat it raw, you end up looking raw. Um, <laughs> I, that's all I can say. But that's the one correlation between the carnivores and the and the and the raw vegans and the raw fruitarians. They tend to have these great looking exteriors. However, I've noticed this prevalence of neurological deficits among those who are long term vegan. Like yeah. they get anxiety or they have the frenet a frenetic kind of energy to them. They kind of if they were in like a hard fight or like a debate with someone, the emotions can come out very quickly. Uh, when I'm debating someone who's like eating just meat, they don't get emotional very fast. They're just kind of a little more at plane. And I believe this has to do with neurotransmitter health within your small intestine, probably around where the jejunum is. Um, so you have, so you have the, the duodenum, the jejunum, and then the ileum. They're the three sections of the small intestine. Jejunum is generally where you absorb most of your nutrition. Celiac people have to worry about this because a lot of their microvilli, which help you get the nutrition to your bloodstream, tend to get flattened out. So that's why I try to instill in people who are trying to heal, who have chronic conditions, that they need a lot of time. And I recommend fasting because like, I believe fasting would be the only way you could really regenerate those microvilli among getting nutrition sufficiency. That's my theory on it. Okay. But sorry, were you gonna say something? Oh, no, I was saying, okay. Um, and I wanted to ask also, if someone's fasting, I guess it depends on what you're trying to achieve. What are, what's like, what counts as the minimum amount of time to really make an impact in your, say, in your gut health, for example, or maybe burning fat off, that kind of thing? Like, how, how would you approach that? Well, uh, you can always burn fat. Honestly, like, that's why I tell people, like, if you have fat, you're super good off. Like, I, I, it kind of, it actually teased me a little bit when I see in the health communities, people freaking out over someone making these huge transformations after losing a lot of weight. I would think in certain conditions and some people have um, certain uh, certain issues like a, a metabolic disorder or they're like an eating disorder, uh, like nervosa bulimia, right? Or they're anorexic. Uh, when people like that make transitions based on weight, um, that's impressive. But otherwise, it's not super impressive because all you have to do is eat a low carb diet and fast workout. Like it's super easy. And I have, but I have clients who are just like, for them to get any progress in their health, they have to go through these extremes, and that sucks, you know, by comparison. So um, it's better to have the fat. Just, just that's right. Like, so I'm, I'm always really excited to have clients who have a lot of fat because I'm like, yes, like you have all this time in the world to fast, like. And fasting helps you just reset on so many levels. So anyway, without going too detailed, uh, I would say that a 36 hours dry is it, the minimum for white blood cell uh, proliferation. So what happens is you have an, an innate immune system and an adaptive. We're going to ignore the adaptive. So the innate is what essentially doesn't learn as what medical um, institutions will say. But when you fast, they reset. So it's not so much that they learn, uh, they just die <laughs> and once come back. 
new ones come yeah. in that so it's kind of like uh, it's still learning technically um they're just kind of avoiding that and mm-hmm. trying to also not talk about fasting because that you know is a cheap method to cure, heal all kinds of disease mm-hmm. and so uh so when you go about 36 hours dry you reset your whole white blood cell supply um i'm taking this off of the cell journal uh, that was producing the fact that if you go three days fasting, your white blood cells reset and the other journals that talk about how dry fasting would essentially be a, uh, it would multiply water fasting by two. Okay. So if you were to go a day and a half dry, it's equatable to, well, actually, I, I think some people were saying that it's almost three times more effective, but I think it's maybe, maybe it may be more safer to say to double it yeah. um, because I don't think that the science out on it is exactly concrete. It's just oh. something you can kind of go with. Yeah. I would also say there are completely different categories too. Water fasting is like a different beast altogether versus dry fasting. I think people can actually damage themselves on water fasting easier than dry fasting. Um, and that's, that's a whole other thing. Um, but generally, yeah, I would say that day and a half dry is my go-to for people who are looking to get immunity. Uh, like when I go out into the wild, do the survival school thing, and I'm eating a raw wild squirrel, I'm drinking from Giardia positive streams, I'm eating deer feces, whatever. People are like, what the heck? Like, how are you not getting sick? I'm like, dry fasting. Dry fasting and eating well. Like, you make yourself vulnerable to pathogens when you eat too many carbs. This is why people got sick from COVID and I didn't. Like, if you are constantly eating too. Like you need to be able to give your body some time to produce more white blood cells so they can constantly be like, bam, 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 bam. You know, cause the innate immune system like is like a shotgun and it just keeps blowing stuff up and it creates inflammation. It cleans up inflammation. But the problem is like with this vaccine in particular, uh, if I, apparently, and this is from Dr. Tenpenny, she was saying that in the process by which they have to get that mRNA to the cell, uh, they have to disable type 2 macrophages. Um, and when that happens, and I don't know why they would need to disable the M2s, which doesn't make sense to me, but uh, they do. And so when, you, when your M2s are disabled, those guys are the cleanup crew for the M1s. The M1s go and just blow stuff up and create inflammation. And the M2s are supposed to come in and clean that inflammation up. So all these people who are jabbed are going to have a much more difficult time cleaning up their information. They'll just kind of live perpetually inflamed. So mm-hmm. it kind of precludes them from being able to pursue alternative remedies. Like a lot in a lot of ways, when you're fasting, uh, you create inflammation. It's natural. It happens because white blood cells become abundant and they do their job. And so you're going to get it inflamed. And if you don't allow your body to heal that inflammation, uh, it can be deleterious. We all know that chronic inflammation is a, a big part of disease, but I don't think it's the root cause. People think inflammation is the root cause, um, but if you were to go all the way back to the real root, it's you. It's your decisions. And so ultimately, it's based on, you know, how, we're supposed to be living our lives out in the wild. You would be fasting like every now and then. And it, like, I've been a survivalist. I know you don't eat every day. I mean, there are several days when you're trying to go out and hunt and find things to kill, you know, and get your traps down. It doesn't happen every day. Some people are really good. And maybe by some miracle, like with all of the um, events by which people went out and uh, traveled around and migrated for seasons, that they managed to hunt every day, get something every single day. Uh, that would be very rare. 
and very difficult to do in a tribal mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. Um, especially today, our, I think our food sources are far less abundant in the wild. Um, but generally, yeah, you would have to go through a fast and you would be eating way more ketogenic. You'd be eating most of meat, um, yeah. more fat. Uh, you would get some fibers if you were to forage. Um, there are certainly fibers, uh, certainly all kinds of, of plants. But without salt, you're going to become mineral deficient. Those, when I go back to the anti-nutrients, uh, oxalic acid, which is what is the pre, uh, the, uh, the precursor to what is called an oxalate. An oxalate would be the compound of oxalic acid mixed with a mineral. Um, so what happens is as an, as an anti-nutrient, the oxalic acid goes in, binds with magnesium, uh, sodium, calcium, and that turns into an oxalate. An oxalate. So you have what's called a soluble oxalate and insoluble oxalate. Uh, the soluble kinds of what go through your urine and the insoluble go through your stool. Insoluble would be like bound, bound with the calcium um, and creates that particular compound. So oxalate, uh, calcium oxalate. So uh, a lot of those are con- contribute to like kidney stones in some way. Um, obviously, it would be more of the soluble variety. But uh, the, the ones that are calcium in, in nature tend to get stuck in the tissue and disrupt immunity. Um, so this is particularly, this is why I only go with certain vegetables with people. I'm like, Hey, if you want to avoid these plant toxins, you don't want oxalates in your body, you avoid these veggies. Right. Um, and so anyway, it just gets really complicated when you get into plant toxins. It's like, cause then you had, and then there's the lectins, yep. you know, those are really bad anti-nutrients. Did you know that gluten is a lectin? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, but there's more lectins now because of our farming standards. They've genetically modified them to produce more lectins. Mm. It's, it's just to increase, it's just to, to affect their bottom line more positively. Yeah. So it is what it is. If the plant toxins are designed, you know, plants all have defense mechanisms like animals do. An animal's defense mechanism is to run or to try to kill you, you know, and, and then uh, with, with plants, they try to kill you slowly. Like, well, they, they, with humans, they kill you slowly with, with microbes and insects they kill them pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what their main thing is. They like try to, uh, poison, uh, anything trying to eat them. Yeah. Uh, as far as I don't actually feel, I don't necessarily agree with all the carnivore doctors on plant toxins being the number one problem for people. Um, I think there it's, it's a small deleterious problem. Uh, even when in ketosis, you lose your own minerals, regardless of what plant toxins you're consuming. And, and that's natural. You need that, uh, cause you need to, the, uh, mineral supply to constantly be circulating and you need to, uh, be able to chelate metals and you're not going to do that in a carb rich environment. Um, at least naturally that is. So anyway, it's just really complicated with the mineral topic and I'm not necessarily the absolute expert. I tend to defer to Clark Engelbert and his nutritional analytics uh, company. Uh, he does this whole mineral balancing thing. Mm. Um, so with the, uh, I, if I can go back to the the fasting thing, because I'm very interested in this um, and your yeah. perspective on fasting. So at, it sounds to me like what you're saying is any amount of time where you are giving your body a break from food is useful. Um, is there kind of like, aside from the white blood cell reset taking, say, 36 hours, is there, are, are there other timeframes that you take, so, you know, suggest to people like, hey, you, you know, you're dealing with this, you're trying to achieve this, try 12 hours, try 24 hours. Like, is there that kind of thing in there for certain goals? Uh, yeah. Um, 
I would say like uh, this is one I call it the have it as a part of what's called the one three seven protocol um, for clients who are business professionals. I recommend to them that they don't wake up they, that they wake up not drinking and not eating, and they wait about seven hours. Hmm. Um, this is enough time for your body to start to eat itself, and this is it's while someone looks at catabolic uh, something catabolic is not good. Um, it's a repair process. When you have fat stored up in your body, your body binds toxins to them. And obviously during a fast, it's probably prioritizing the toxic fat stores. So when your body eats them, it takes them out through the lymph and they end up on the surface of your skin and you wash it off. Or you gets down to your feet and it kind of goes into the earth when you're walking, earthing and whatnot. Um, so you have a large supply of lymph uh, nodes in your feet. So I think a lot, a lot of people who are not grounding and not walking around barefoot are suffering from that. And uh, they just put all the toxins in their socks and stuff, you know? <laughs> so um, that I believe is the reason why people get something like athlete's foot um, because it's, I think it's more of an endogenous, which means from within problem, uh, the yeast get pushed out onto your skin and they just stay there. Um, I, think that, I think that's more of the problem than people getting it from like a gym shower. Um, I would say that ringworm you could get from other people. Um, that's a whole other thing. Um, but, um, yeah. So with the fasting, generally like the one, three, seven is, is to every day that you possibly can, that you want to, that you feel comfortably to, because you can lose a lot of weight doing this, uh, is to wait that seven hours and then to once a month do three days dry. And that's kind of a, uh, that's what I do. Um, that's what I do uh, whenever I can. A lot of the time, like right today, I'm doing 137. I don't know if I've been eating or drink at all. And so it's only when I feel like I have the fat supply. I'm a very uh, ectomorph-like build. Um, more of like, I think it has to do with my Puerto Rican side. I don't, I don't gain a lot of mass. Um, as, as hard as I try, like on up to like 5,000 calories in a day, carbs or fats, and it just doesn't jive. I don't get bigger. Yeah, the max I've ever gone is 160 pounds at six feet. And right now I'm about 155. Uh, most of it's a lot of muscle tissue. Um, but generally, uh, when it comes to the fasting, it's very hard when you're more lean. And that's why I'm like very envious that people gain a lot of weight because I'm fast all the dang time. <laughs> and I think that has more to do with the people who are in colder climates. I think there was more of a need genetically to pack on weight. Yeah. For someone like me with a lot more Islander blood, I probably never needed the weight. So it's, I'm just, it's working against me. So I'm doing something that is better for people who are Northern in nature. Um, I believe fasting is healthier for people who are genetically meant for the cold. And uh, because they have all this fat to use. Um, but I would still say that you can fast effectively with someone of my body type. It just needs to be more intelligent. And I do more intermediate stuff. Uh, I have a tendency to just do like the, like I said, doing like seven hours in the morning every now and then. Or I do, I, oh, I always make sure to do three days dry a month, at least. I do like three to five days dry. Um, obviously, there are people out there who go to extremes who will eat, I don't know, I, a lot of them are fruitarians. Uh and then, and then they call themselves breatharian. Uh, I think the the guy, the manly guy, Chris Manley, I think his name is. And then there's this other guy I just looked at today uh, who is Russian. A lot of the Russians love dry fasting. 
um, he just apparently came out of a 51 day dry fast. And that's longer than Jesus. But Jesus <laughs> was in the desert. Like Jesus did 40 days dry in the desert. So completely different. When you're in Russia and it's cold all the time, you're probably getting enough uh, um, hydration in the air as by, by comparison. I think he did a hard dry fast too. He doesn't even bathe. Um, so it's very extreme. Uh, the Russians, like when they go to that, actually is very impressive. Uh, but I don't recommend people go over three days. Like I generally don't. Like I think in our society today, uh, people are so toxic is that when they start to fast, tons of toxins get loaded off. And that dehydrates you. And also, if you're not used to ketosis, your liver busts out all these ketones, like in that post I made, uh, and that dehydrates you as well. So it's, it could be fairly dangerous to you, and you can actually end up creating organ failure if you haven't dealt with a lot of the toxins in your body and you haven't like practiced and created more of your dry, dry fasting muscles, so to speak. Um, I believe dry fasting or fasting as a whole is a lot like working out. Like they, they get flabby. If you don't constantly practice it, it's going to be harder on you. Mm. Um, and it's better to be in ketosis prior. because you're not like stressing your body out. So I would say that someone who is say, for instance, vegan or vegetarian, they're going to get a lot less done in their fast than with someone who is meat based because that person's already ketogenic. They're not having to swap off of carbs and go through the withdrawal phase. They're already ready to go. That's why for me, it's so much easier on my like raw carnivore diet to just go. My diet is so not very rewarding. It's like, it's, it's nutritionally dense and super great. It makes me feel super good all the time, but uh, it's not exciting. So it leads me to want to fast more. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, beautiful. So it's literally like when, when you're eating raw meat, it's like fasting. It is fasting, but with nutrition. <laughs> so it, I, and I've done the fruit thing too. Uh, that's addictive. Like that, that insulin up, up regulation, all that sugar. I mean, it's, it's, it feels good. You consume the fruit and, oh, yeah. but that, that kills my testosterone. I mean, it makes me super estrogenic. I mean, it's instant. I, I lose myself. I'm no longer my predator brain. I can't stare down women in grocery store lines. I couldn't do it. You know, now <laughs> it's a very it, important yeah, skill yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. I love it. I mean, it was a big change. I mean, for me and all that endocrine cell stuff, I mean, I went from kind of getting women to like have, getting to choose whatever woman I want. And it's just now it's come this, this whole new life because of my testosterone levels. I just I feel more stoic. I feel strong. And my voice has changed too. I just, my, my facial structure changed just so much. And been a long journey but anyway besides the point there um the fasting is was very important to all of that um so but anyway you were asking about the methods uh i would say like like i said the seven hours in the morning is really easy to do uh if you're a business professional and you're not addicted to caffeine uh because obviously the caffeine addicts get their coffee in the morning so and it's not fasting if you drink coffee and, <laughs> speaking sorry i, I know you're gonna continue that thought, but speaking of coffee right uh 
I am not of the view that it's necessarily a great thing to ingest. Where do you stand with coffee? I mean, I read that book, Caffeine Blues, and I was like, well, that's an eye-opener, shit. Um, and that was, you know, mostly the, the extent of the body of knowledge I have on caffeine and why not to consume it. But where, where do you stand with it? Um, I think this is one of those things, like uh, I made another post about health practitioners who have certain mentalities, like the ones who have a black and white approach, ones who are like the health magician, you know, uh, and all that, like I, a lot of them get real black and white about stuff like that. And they're like, okay, uh, caffeine does this to your cortisol. Um, it obviously dysregulates your endocrine homeostasis. It affects your gut permeable layer. It makes it a little more acidic and it contributes to holes in the gut lining or whatever they say, right? Or on some level, it's an anti-nutrient. And yes, those are negative things, but it's like with plant toxins, there are still benefits to coffee. It, if you're a business professional, you have a life and you're trying to get into being healthy, but you don't want to go through all the detox symptoms of being like, Ugh, you know, you got to just drink the coffee. Like it, it's like you trade out, you know, a much worse negative for a lesser negative. Like sometimes coffee is the better negative. True. And so while it's inherently not optimal, you're not going to feel like your brain's really quick without the coffee until you've fully recovered. You've gotten through a lot of the toxins pulled out of your body and you're now at a point where you're eating like almost just meat and your brain fog's gone, then then great. You know, it's just for me, like if I were to go in a or more than 50 grams of carbs in a day, I mean I easily get into brain fog central. I just it doesn't work for me. I just I'm just not as fast. I just mm. go real slow. And it's a lot it's a lot different. And my hormones too change all 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 the time when I add too many carbs. Um, so I haven't really achieved any cures. I would oh well, okay, wait. There's some cures that I've made. Uh I can't go back to clinical depression. I've tried. I've tried to eat a bunch of pizza, a bunch of ice cream. I can't go back to clinical depression. So that's great. Um and I can't I can't uh fully get rid of my testosterone changes. Uh, it would seem that a lot of them have made it to my cells. I think it has more to do with the building of the muscle tissue. Uh, when you're a man and you produce more muscle tissue, you create more of an endogenous supply, meaning produced from within. So you are constantly producing more free testosterone in your body and it's getting to your cells and it's changing who you actually are. So it is in a lot of ways important for a man to be developed musculature to actually develop more muscle tissue for them to stay perpetually higher in testosterone. Um, and I think that's a big problem. That was a big problem for me because I didn't have a lot of muscle tissue either. And the estrogen was blocking that. Like no matter how much I hit the gym, I wasn't gaining because I was had too much estrogen. I didn't have the testosterone. So I had to get rid of the blockages. I had to get rid of all the copper problems, the, the estrogen problems. And so now here I am and I have a lot more muscle tissue and it's easier to kind of have that. What do you, uh, in your experience, what were the biggest issues as far as the estrogen problem? What were the biggest sources of that, of that challenge? Um, probably mostly my mindset, you know, thinking, not really realizing that, that it was the estrogen. But, like, but I mean, as far as, the- sorry, just to clarify, as far as, okay. So you like, you realize that estrogen is the problem. Where is it coming from in, you know, your environment that is the biggest issue that you had to deal with and eliminate or what have you? 
ultimately it's always a diet. I mean, yeah. uh, no matter what I do, I mean, when I'm, I can, I can enter into a high testosterone state when I'm fasted, but that's not the diet. That's not diet. That's just me being me. <laughs> and so when I eat certain foods, obviously a lot of them have, uh, phytoestrogens. Like if you were to eat soy, you can become artificially estrogenic. Mm. Um, but that's different. Uh, I would still get estrogen when consuming something like raw milk. Right. But then raw milk has its own natural supply of E1, 2, 3, and 4. It's meant for babies. They need those exogenous hormones to be able to grow both androgens and estrogens. So what's funny about raw milk is a lot of people are really into it because, especially men, a lot of men would get really high energy, obviously from the boost of all the hormones, but then they also feel very masculine because of the androgens. Hmm. But I've had a lot of clients who develop by thoughts and I'm like, well, there's estrogen in it. And so in a lot of ways you can become slightly estrogenic when you're consuming the raw milk. Um, but I've also tried with, this is what I was saying about fruits earlier. Even when I add fruit, my insulin goes up and insulin pushes up estrogen too. Okay. So at the end of the day, it's the sugar, but raw milk would be worse. I would say that I do get way more estrogenic on raw milk while also being masculine. It's a very weird feeling. <laughs> um, yeah. And so while I can feel real bravado and the, the raw milk, I'm also struggling with the estrogen side at the same time. You know, all I need is one trigger and it's done. Um, but when I go into like eating just meat, the trigger can't hit. Hey, I can, I can see like if my old mistress came back and she said, hi, I would not be interested. But if I was on raw milk, I'd probably fall for it. You know, uh, I mean, on some level, I'd, well, I'd, I'd feel it. I'd still try to say no, I'd still like fight it, you know, but my whole body would be wanting me to have it. Mm -hmm. But like now I don't have to do any, anything with that. It's, it's this constant state of like control with my mental state and my hormones. So yeah, I would say the diet is number one. Uh, it makes between copper toxicity, uh, the elevation of insulin and on some level plant toxins, but I would say, and heavy metals, obviously, which is the copper problem, um, and mineral deficiencies always add up to, because if your copper is too high, your zinc is too low. And then, you know, if you're not getting a zinc, you're not getting up testosterone. I honestly think like, I see the minerals, like, you know, you have the zinc and copper balance. I think that ratio is super important for endocrine health. Like if you're if your zinc is low, like that's your means of getting your testosterone and other means too. I, I was mega, uh, mega dosing L Ruteri, uh, that helped me a lot. Uh, lactobacillus is a genus of bacteria that I actually think is some, is actually something you could say is a necessary bacteria. Like if you lose it, you're not fully human. Yeah. Okay. So when you take antibiotics, you lose yourself. Um, and so these antibiotics can hit the small intestine where lactobacillus tend to reside they get it creates this fallout zone that destroys all the bacteria and they can't recolonize so it goes on for years if not permanently and people end up without l ruteri so the ruteri species of lactobacillus is known for helping increase uh you know for men to drop their their testicles or to get you know a deeper voice or to grow muscle uh, it's, it's the testosterone bacteria and men are extremely deficient into, in it today. They were tracking it since I think the sixties or fifties, 
and they found that only 40% of men had like an adequate supply and back then. And there's, there's, they were, they're saying now it's around like well under 10%. Mm. So we have so many people to, and it's obvious because there's so many men today who struggle getting enough testosterone, myself included. So I've definitely connected a lot of my problems back to like antibiotic damages or prenatal problems. Uh, I can go on and on about the prenatal problems, like mothers who wear a lot of makeup, like a lot of those chemicals get into their skin and it gets into the baby. Mm. Those are all endocrine disruptors. I think they're some of the bigger problems. So one for one big one, for instance, that's a carcinogen in an endocrine disruptor is a phthalate. It's mm. spelled very funny. The P is silent, um, but it's essentially once it gets into the cell, I mean, you could make a boy in the womb too masculine to the point of what you would call toxic masculinity or they become uh, very feminine if the, if the supply is too low. So like if you have too much phthalate, uh, like a lot of phthalate, it will make a man more masculine. Now, if you did a little bit of phthalate and say the mother only words like so much makeup or they got it from other sources, like they drink plastic bottles that are warm or whatever, um, that uh, can make them more feminine. So that's a, it's obviously a big problem today. I would say the reason why my fasting may be the reason why I've healed so much is that as a component, not only was the copper removed, but I believe the phthalates perhaps and other particular uh, chemical compounds that disrupt uh, endocrine health were removed from the cell. And this is a big part of fasting is what's called uh, autophagy. You've probably heard of it, Yep. but generally when you're, when you go through autophagy, your cell compresses and it pushes all this cell, uh, pathogenic cell water. And then it replenishes with new water and that new water is imperative to have obviously because you want to clean out the cell of pathogens and the xenobiotics. And when you do that, technically you would heal your endocrine system because you don't have the, the chemicals in there anymore. And so really, really important uh, to do. I just, that's why I tell people like, you got to just keep fasting, like just keep doing it. Like at least do three days dry or get yourself to the point where you can do three days dry within a month. And it just saved me quite a bit. Like all kinds of things have happened. Like my head, a lot of gallstones built up. Uh, one time I didn't know I had them. Uh, I just dry fasted one time after trying to do raw meat. I was trying to master raw meat back then, which is eating raw meat and it wasn't working. I was only getting like a pound in a day. I was getting super skinny. I just kept fasting in between. I would like do 48 days dry. Sorry, 48, no, 48 hours dry. And then uh, I would eat. 48 hours dry, eat. 48 hours dry, eat. I did that for like 60 days. And then in the last, the last set of days, I did a three and a half day dry fast. And my body pulled out. I felt this band-aid sensation in my liver area. And I ended up uh, crudding out like 17 huge gallstones. And I, I had no idea I had all these gallstones in me. And I was like, wow, dry, dry fasting removes gallstones. Great. <laughs> and I didn't even know what gallstones were at the time. <laughs> and so, uh, after that, I was able to eat a ton of raw meat because obviously your gallbladder is what gives you that bile. You need to break down and uh, emulsify the fats in the small intestine so you can absorb it. 
it just all clicked for me. I was like, holy crud, no wonder I wasn't eating a lot of ramen. You know, like it was the fat and I can't digest the fat. And then you need the fat for the energy or the diet doesn't work. And so that's why I tell people, I don't ever recommend people you know, go on raw meat because a lot of people have poor stomach acids, poor pH. Um, they, they don't have enough bile uh, and they can't properly digest the fats, let alone abate any pathogens that are in the meat. Um, it, microbes within meat, like parasites is a real thing. And I know a lot of people in the terrain world on the Asian is planet side of things. Uh, they think that all of those guys are friendly. Um, but ultimately when they make it to a certain part of your intestine, they just lay eggs and those eggs are on the intestinal wall where the mucosa is. And the eggs, once they get to a certain stage, like stage three or four, depending on the genus, they break into the intestine like through the intestinal wall into your bloodstream. And this, they've done this in vivo, which means like observing it while the human host is alive and it's all working in tandem. Like it's an actual imaging of what's going on. It's not a theory. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's crazy because like when that happens, holes are created in the intestine and you're, they're accessing your bloodstream. They're able to get into your red blood cells that go through your spleen, your liver, lay more eggs, and then go right through your bloodstream again. Like your white blood cells are killing them, but not all of them. It's like this constant war. And so this is a bigger problem with people who have Lyme disease and a Babesia as a co-infection. But anyway, it's, it's, it's very uh, problematic. Like I don't, that's I'm very much, uh, I try to tell people like, watch out for the eukaryotic microbes. The ones that are bigger, the ones that have a nucleus, uh, the, the, the bacteria, the archaea, the viruses, they're a different thing altogether. I, I go over this in the opportunism theory in, in great detail, but um, the eukaryotic pathogens are uh, the ones that are widely more commensal. They will be there so that uh, they just try to make it so they're not seen by the immune system by benefiting us somewhat. But they benefit even more when we constantly eat and we don't fast. So our white blood cells are dumb. Our white blood cells just kind of sit around like our neutrophils eventually just kind of get, and they're like the majority of our white blood cells. Like they just kind of sit around. They don't know anything. They don't do anything. Macrophages too. All the innate immune system, they just get stupefied. So this is what my theory is on carnivore. So when people eliminate all those foods, uh, they by effect end up naturally producing new white blood cells. And they end up catching the immune system up and they give their body the time it needs um, uh, to kind of like eliminate all those foods and kind of reset, so to speak. And what's unfortunate is I think the body all of a sudden recognizes what's going on. It sees that all of these pathogens have grown in all areas of the body already without them knowing. And it's trying to catch up. And that's why some people get extreme inflammation when they reintroduce carbs. Uh-huh. Like for me, if I added a banana now, I get like four canker sores in my mouth. Jesus. And that to me is microbes in my oral microbiome coming out of hiding from like a zero carb diet. And then my innate immune system blasting. Yep. So, so, so is that useful? Do you think that's a useful thing to do from time to time is have, have a banana and then you like pull them out, smash them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been trying this, but I don't ever recommend it to people because it's, it's theoretical and obviously inflammation leads people to death in a lot of ways. So I can't, I'm not going to be the guy who tells everyone to just let inflammation happen. 
mm-hmm. but I will say that when you fast and create inflammation, you better at least try to fast even more to try to like get it down, uh, or at least do something or understand that the inflammation is good. Cause mindset is everything. Like mm, yeah. when you pump out stress hormones, when you're fasting, that's not a fast, that's starvation. Mm-hmm. So, but if you were to go through a fast thinking it's really good for you, then it's completely different. Like I, I'm a really logical person to the point I, you know, I almost thought I was like autistic, you know, like, but I really, you know, it's, it was hard for me to believe that I could mentally do that. Like I could really affect how I am based on how I'm, how I'm thinking. Mm. Um, totally. And it just, it is that what yeah. I was just saying, totally, you're right. Um, you reminded me of a story I read not long ago, and I forget the source of it now, but uh, it was about a guy who was a prisoner of war in a camp, one of these concentration camps where they basically just gave people like a starvation ration, you know, to survive on. And everyone there was just emaciated, skeletal, you know, fading away, except for this one guy who looked like he'd just arrived, but he'd been there for months. And they were like, what's the, what's your deal, man? Why, why are you so different to everyone else? You haven't lost any weight. What's going on? He was just like, basically his answer was, you know, I'm I'm not stressed about this. And just, he accepted his situation and worked with it and wasn't stressed. He wasn't in fear. He wasn't in in a scarcity uh, headspace and his physiology reflected it. Awesome. That's a beautiful example of that. That's great. Yeah. And honestly, like there's a lot of people out there and that's sort of my argument with some of the seventh day Adventists are like, uh, with like a vegetarian diet, like they're, a lot of them are really just in well mind. Uh, like they, they live happy lives. They have a great community. They're accepted in their community. They're loved. So they don't have a lot of stress. Um, that's a big factor. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's something called peristalsis. It helps you to like move everything around these muscle contractions so you can kind of like get the bolus down and, and create the kind, whatever it's anyway. So your body ends up shutting down this whole digestive process when you stress out. Like I had a client recently. Um, she was in a panic, right? She ended up getting uh, her, she was, her digestive system was so screwed up that, that her stool um like she didn't have like it came out with like chunks of fat like it wasn't digesting and i was like wow that would that would have to be pretty extreme because she's already carnivore she's like pretty metabolically sound and i was asking what the changes were in the last two weeks you know it's like oh she's eating eating food eating food you know eating the usual but then something really stressful happened in her job uh in her her job atmosphere and i was like well that's it like you know, and, and it's attached to all kinds of things for her. And, and I won't go into specifics, but essentially like it, it would hit her stress, uh, her like, stress her enough to where it can disrupt her digestive processes. Um, I also investigated more and I believe that she had oxidized some cholesterol, which would have led to gallstone formation, which would have led to poor bile secretion. And so that would have also contributed to her not digesting the fats. Um, but as it were, um, the pain in her stomach went away when she, when I talked to her kind of like through the, the psychological components of that stressful situation. Um, but it all matters. Uh, it just, the stress kind of exacerbates current issues. Mm. Um, so while the root of it was, was probably like frying an egg, creating the oxidized, uh, cholesterol. Um, 
it was also a part of it. The stress was a part of it. Like, absolutely. Um, I mean, like for instance, I lost when I, when I got really sick after that heartbreak, I mean, it's obviously all the stress, you know, but yeah, super important, really important. Do you, Um, when you, when you're working with someone, um, I get the impression that you take an individualist sort of approach and you assess people as individuals and see, okay, what are your needs? You know, what's going on here? Um, when you have to deal with, say, I got a few questions here. Maybe we'll have to run through them relatively quickly because we've already gone over an hour, but let's, let's run through a few. Okay. So allergies, when you have someone come to you and they've got allergies, I know there's a billion different allergies. What is your, say, if you could create like a generalized picture of you know, approaching allergies, what is your general, yeah, I mean, I know you can't, you can't generalize too much because everyone's individual, but um, do you no. have certain things that you do with most people, say? Do you mean allergies of food or seasonal stuff, like environment? Yeah, I'd say, um, like, if it was more of a, say, it seemed more like it was environmental or seasonal, like, say, as opposed to, oh, well, I know I'm allergic to gluten and I, when I eat it, you know, I get messed up, um, that kind of thing. Right. Um Allergies as a whole, like, I mean, honestly, things when it comes to certain metabolic factors like anti-nutrients, your body's always going to start to hate it. Like, it's good that it hates it. I mean, it, there's, on some level, you can eventually come back to eating the gluten again, but it's never going to be an optimal thing. Yep. Um, on some level, your body just doesn't want to turn back. That's mm-hmm. okay. You know, but as far as other allergies, like certain allergies, that's more of a, a problem with your leaky gut syndrome situation. So like if you have holes in your intestinal lining or, or, uh, or a well, they, I think in scientific terms, like the, the tight gap junctions, I'm forgetting the exact terminology, but anyway, there are these gaps and it gets into the bloodstream. So when these particles of nut go through there, they're a little more dense. So they make it right in those holes and into the bloodstream. So your adaptive immune system is in there. And it starts to blow them up and start to develop um, antibodies towards the, uh, to the food. So like anytime that you're, you eat that food, you develop an allergy to it now. Um, and so that, that now, if you were to heal your intestinal lining, then you're not going to have that allergy. Now, if it's something that's like environmental, like it's like people who it's really fascinating and I'm trying to encumber this, I'm trying to eventually write a whole thing on it. But people have histamine sensitivity. Uh, I believe that's linked to mold. Uh, I believe that the relationship between penicillium, aspergillus, uh, genus of uh, molds, and probably others, but those are the most common, uh, and their spores are closely related to what are called the what's called the mast cell. Um, it's a component of the immune system. It's very complex, but essentially you. When the, when the molds and the mycotoxins are making contact with your body, your white blood cells go and act against it. So anytime that you consume something uh, that, uh, that has like a mold on it, your body will start to attack it. And a lot of white blood cells release something called histamine. And that's largely what's, what I think is related to the mold toxicity. So like when someone eats organ meats, and they get histamine, histamine reactions and nothing else. And then, but no reactions to anything else. It's like, well, maybe explore the fact that that meat has accumulated some level of mycotoxins because it's a hormone secreting organ. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
molds and, and bacteria love hormones. That's the first thing to go. That's why the blood spoils faster. That's why the, the, the organs spoil faster is because the microbes hoard hormones first. It's the number one thing they want. So this is why you would end up creating more histamine on that particular product. Uh, so, cause I've been trying to investigate this for some carnivores who are like not getting histamine from lean meat, but they're getting histamine from organs. And that's one of my thoughts. Vitamin A toxicity is a whole other thing because it's largely just with the liver. Um, and I think that has to do with fasting problems. Um, that's a whole other subject, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think with allergies, you just need to repair yourself. Okay. Um, but I think specific allergies, like with the gluten thing, it's kind of, you're just better off because you don't want lectins. Like yeah. there's no point because gluten is going to con contribute to creating more allergies anyway, because gluten, we know uh, contributes to intestinal lining permeability. It just, it makes it where it's easier for microbes to drill into that lining. Um, another thing that I think is the root cause of that, that um, the holes in the lining are is candida because the hyphae that holds onto those metals uh, will drill into your intestines um, or through the intestines into the bloodstream. So uh, that's very important to uh, understand. Um, so people who are dysbiotic tend to be prone or who have ever taken antibiotics are prone to uh, these problems. And uh, I had a ton of allergies as a kid and I don't have them anymore. Um, as far as with food, as uh, certain foods, um, I don't even know that I really have any gluten allergy or ever had at all. Um, but I do know that I, I always go through a negative cycle of events when I consume any carbs anyway. So I don't mm -hmm. even do that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, you, that's my you, take on it. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Um, do you, you mentioned organ meats, like, do you, do you advocate any organ meats or is it, do you, you tend to stay away from them? No, I advocate them all day long for people who can, uh, the people who are histamine sensitive, who never fast shouldn't, you know, and I think that if you eat organs outside of the liver, you need to eat the whole head to tail thing. Like, cause if you eat spleen, for instance, no way it was, no, it was pancreas. So if you eat pancreas and you don't eat brain, you're going to have a really bad time with omega six. Like pancreas is loaded the omega-6 but then brain is loaded with omega-3 so i don't think you should jump into head to tail without doing head to tail yeah. like people try to do head to tail by just doing liver and or just doing heart and liver you know and and i do that because i can't really afford and I'm, I'm not making a lot of money so i can't afford to go kill a goat in my backyard you know it's just is what it is. Um, but the people that can, uh, especially even they're raw feeding dogs, I educate on dogs too. Like you got to do the whole thing. I mean, if you don't, it just, they end up in balance. This is what it is. You know? And, uh, that's a big part of like mineral balancing too. Like carnivores end up mineral deficient all the time. Like I'm sure I have at one point, you know, and especially when I went into doing raw milk a lot, I'm sure I got too much calcium. I became slightly anemic. Because what happens if you didn't drink too much calcium, especially the biounavailable bio kind through dairy, um, I think about 30% of it's bioavailable, uh, but the rest isn't. So it can create a buildup effect and it's problematic. Uh, so that can actually get stuck in the receptor sites where your iron's supposed to go or, well, it, it competes with iron. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's problematic. Uh, so that's why I tell people like, Hey, if you're going to do raw milk, you're only do it 30 days and then don't go back. Like some people get so addicted to it. They stay on it. And uh, it's like, okay, you're lost, you know? Um, but yeah, raw milk is kind of addictive. It's, it's once you get that high from those hormones, you never want to stop mm-hmm. people. Like some of my clients even fight, like they're just like straight up like addicts. Like this gets so angry about it. They're just like, there's nothing wrong with raw milk. It's the perfect food. And I'm like, nothing's a perfect food. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I, yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we could take give people some sort of, uh, and you know, obviously we can't do like blanket recommendations or anything, but you know, if you were to make suggestions for people like take away implement implementable, um, type things, what, what, is, what are yours? Like, so let's say people are like, Oh, dry fasting. Okay. Let's, let's try this. Uh, he said a few interesting things about, you know, organ meats and, you know, spending time letting my white blood cells regenerate and this, this type of thing. Let's say someone who's not, um, hasn't been working with you and just maybe relatively, you know, just coming into this space. What are your kind of like guidelines as far as like, okay, let's start getting, getting our shit together here. <laughs> uh, I would make sure you get enough meat into your diets where you're developing a microbiome that's conducive to lacto fermenting capacity, you know, and get those lactobacillus species growing in your small intestine by eating a lot of meat. And once you get to a safer spot there, you can start to become more ketogenic. And from there you can leg up into fasting. Mm-hmm. And so you're safer, better fasting that is. And then you want to be mineral sufficient. So when you start entering, entering ketosis, you become, you tend to become dehydrated. So people drink a lot of water and water is a solvent. That's what's dangerous with water fasting. So it pushes your minerals downstream. And so when you, you need to make sure to supply enough uh, minerals, you need to get things like magnesium or never sufficient in magnesium. Like you would have to eat only fish on a carnivore diet to manage magnesium. Otherwise you just supplement it. Um, and then you'd have to, you know, you have to make sure you get enough calcium in your diet. Hard to do with um, a carnivore, but people that I have going my cruciferous and allium version of that, uh, they get enough because they're eating the cruciferous. The cruciferous have some calcium, uh, especially broccoli. And so good to do that. Uh, you just got to make sure you get all the minerals that you need. Uh, and it's just complicated with carnivore. If you're not doing the expensive carnivore, we're getting enough fat getting enough organs, getting enough bone or whatever, like from bone broth or marrow, you're going to become mineral deficient. You can abate all kinds of disease with that diet, but uh, you can end up uh, losing in other areas uh, like energy. Okay. So, so when you say carnivore, I'm I'm assuming you're you're talking a hundred percent meat and nothing else as opposed to like say a paleo, which is a little bit more of a, a little bit more maybe balanced. Yeah, well, paleo is much different because you're riding on carbs. Um, right. The second you exit that like 30 to 50 gram uh, spectrum of carbs, like you're definitely no longer ketogenic. I don't. I argue that you're not even really ketogenic over 20 grams. So that ketogenic state is so much different. When you're not burning on carbs, you're in a different state of mind altogether. When you're in a carb mind, it's, it's, it's like the sedentary state where you're not really doing any fasting. You're just kind of benign. Um, so I would say paleo is good for nutrition sufficiency. 
but they tend to be low. Those diets tend to be loaded in plant toxins. So you're going to end up losing your, you're going to have your anti-nutrients hitting you all the time. So paleo dieters need to supplement a lot, um, just like carnivores. Um, but it's worse for them in a lot of ways. Well, I guess not in some sense, because when you have carbs, your, your mineral supply tends to stay more intact. Um, but then nothing's getting recycled. You have heavy metals just hanging out. So to get into a really like a great healing state, you want to be more ketogenic, like, or at least cycle yourself through it every now and then. Mm. Um, but that's where you get into too much inflammation because you can end up turning the healing switch on and then all of your white blood cells are doing their job. But then you go back into a sedentary car, uh, carb eating state and then you have to deal with all the inflammation and that's not good. So that's why I had to warn people is like when they start doing this, there's no going back. Like on some level, your body just starts to resent a lot of foods. And then that's why that bulletproof guy stopped carnivore because he's just like, holy crud, like I can't even eat anything anymore. Like my body just creates inflammation. I don't understand. Like this diet's terrible. Like, so it's, it's not um, for someone who's, who's, uh, you know, it's, it's for if you're really serious and, and it's usually the people who are very sick who go to carnivore, the people who are like Lyme disease or the people who are bipolar disorder, the people who have PCOS, whatever, like it's a, it's a big thing. Like it's a big change. It's a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I have people do by majority is the, the alliums and the cruciferous, like about two cups a day of that and like 90% fatty meat. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a great, great diet to stabilize on as long as you're getting enough fats in. Because if you don't get enough fats, you're just going to be super lethargic and hate your life. Um, uh, in some cases, if you can't seem to get enough energy, say for instance, because I have clients who do this, like, they're working like a construction job and they're also work doing heavy lifting after that construction job every day. And they're like a dude who's over six feet. Like you got to eat a lot of food to keep that kind of lifestyle up and a lot of fat by consequence. So you got to be able to like, uh, create your own tallow or something and just like drink that stuff at night. And, and I also recommend with red meats because some people are slow oxidizers. This is a mineral term from Clark's thing, but I actually believe in it. Um, it's basically like your body's not uh, oxidizing, I guess, the triglycerides fast enough in the bloodstream and you end up slow um, and lethargic. So I recommend people who are like that eat their red meat at night, um, really stuff up on it when the day is ended so that you can go into more of a sedentary state and let your body assimilate those fats for the next day. Uh, I never recommend it. If you're like that eating it in the morning, it can really turn your day down. Um, and also depending on how you cook things is important too. I uh, ideally you don't want to, uh, some people do the air frying thing. We got to watch out for the oxidation of it and with certain foods like with eggs. Um, did you, uh, say, did you yeah. say air frying? Yeah. I, well, I don't think I've ever heard this term, air frying. Yeah, yeah, they have these things called air fryers. Um, yeah, I, I've never used one, so I'm not really an expert on it. But okay. I imagine it's some of the same components to frying an oil. But uh, I think all the same air can get trapped in the food. Right. 
Okay. Sorry, go on. You were, you were going to say something else. Uh, yeah. So I would just like, generally speaking, uh, to optimize something like that, you just got to be very responsible about what your ketogenic diet is. I think you can ruin a ketogenic diet by going with keto, keto friendly foods, like those power bars and the, and the ice creams that are, are pro ketogenic, you know, like the whole net removing net car, like having your net carbs based on your dietary fiber intake is ridiculous. Like, okay. It makes your stool move faster. Big deal. Like it doesn't necessarily like, it doesn't crowd out the problem of carbs because the, the carbs still break down into sugars and they still give your pathogens some food. Like it, it's, that's the problem. Like the problem at the root of it all is your microbes benefiting from that glucose. Like only reason why I ever go on a carnivore diet as boring as it is, but optimal is to suppress those microbes. Mm. And you won't hear that from other medical doctors or natural doctors. Like all the people in the carnivore sphere who are educated are all about these plant toxins and bastardizing glucose. That's it. Like their, their enemy is insulin and glucose and plant toxins. And I'm like, there are so many logical holes to that. Like there are so many other things that go on in the human body system. And, and so I try to explain it, but I guess I, you know, I, I'm the unschooled guy. I'm not like the, the dude who's super educated, but I, I pump out such great work online though. So at least people follow me, but uh, yeah, eventually yeah, well, I, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, every time I see a post of yours, you know, I'm like, oh, this guy has, this guy knows, knows his shit. He does a lot of work. He does a lot of study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you ever read my blog, I got a lot of stuff on there, but it's all right. That's where I put my like bigger stuff. And then my, my doctor says group is where I pump out like some smaller scientific articles. That's where the majority of my science goes and smaller bits. Um, and then I share some of it on my personal page. My personal page that I go all over the board and very political. Um, <laughs> and then some people go on my page and just like hammer me about what I'm posting. Like it's my personal page. Like <laughs> it's my Facebook. You don't have to follow me. <laughs> That's right. I'll um, take it as an invitation. So yeah, brother. Um, I feel like, I mean, obviously you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of things to say. Uh, we could go for more, many, many more hours, clearly. Um, but I want to respect your time. Um, and I feel like we're getting to the point where it would be good to let people know, uh, firstly, well, to finish any thoughts that you wanted to finish, but also like to let people know, uh, where exactly they can check out your stuff and follow you, you know, your website, your writing, this kind of stuff as well. So over to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, gut-goals.com. Uh, that would be my website. And then I have obviously my Facebook and that's pretty much it. Like I don't do anything else. Like all my client bases on Facebook, I'm thinking about moving into doing Twitter now because the whole Elon Musk thing. And then I might do, I don't know. I might do others. There's so many now it's kind of exhausting, you know, like, mm. and I, marketing was my previous profession. So it's not like it's a big problem for me to do that. It's just, kind of lazy about it you know <laughs> it's uh, writing out scientific work is exhausting like because yeah. you have to do all this research and mm. you have to like really genuinely research because i don't want to mm. pump out lies and bullshit yeah. like yeah. so uh, it, it takes time um i I'm, I'm more of an inspirational writer so i just kind of like say things what i feel like mm. uh, 
but anyway, so that, yeah, my Facebook, Ace of Santiago, and then the gut-goals.com is my website. And then my group that, uh, it's invite only, but if you mention the Brendan, you know, Murphy thing, I'll invite them. Like it's, it's the, the Facebook group is called my doctor says dot, dot, dot. It's the play on words. It's like, my doctor says I'm eating too much cholesterol and I'm going to get heart disease. <laughs> and then everyone in my group is going to be like, that's not true. Here's the alternative perspective. So, yeah, they don't, and there's no medical advice given, you know, as a disclaimer, you know, it's like more of like, this is what I would do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful man awesome well i encourage everyone to go and check out your website gut-goals.com was it.com yep yeah and uh yeah join the facebook page tell tell them brendan sent you and um yeah i know aso could talk for a well a long long time and go and check out i'm, I'm keen to check out some of those articles you mentioned as well so are they readily are they easy to find those ones that you did name earlier on uh, yeah, it's in the blog part of Gut Goals. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, opportunism theory isn't open yet. I haven't. I have a password on it, but if if you guys and if they want to read it, they can. Uh, the password is opportunism without a capital. Uh, it's in its beta phases right now, so I have to add more science to it. But it has roughly well over a hundred scientific citations. It's a very large article. Mm. Um, it goes into like how viruses. Uh, may not actually be causing disease, but may actually be a part of the white blood cells system. Um, it goes into how eukaryotes cause disease and how prokaryotes do. And it talks about controversies behind causes to viral diseases and like oncogenic viruses and it's just a whole thing. But um, if people are interested in that, like interested in terrain theory or germ theory and my middle ground opportunism theory they can go and read that uh but if they go on the phone if you log into it from the blog it'll kick you to the home page you just have to go back to the blog page and then it'll let you in so got it got it all right if you're a mobile phone uh person make a note of that Awesome. Asa Santiago, ladies and gents, it has been most interesting, brother, and I appreciate you taking uh, almost a couple of hours now to, to have a chat with me. Man. <laughs> yeah, <Thanks>. sorry. <laughs> if you're sick and tired of cancel culture and censorship on social media, please feel welcome to join me and thousands of red-pilled folk at my own independent alternative, truth.network. That's http colon slash slash network. See you there.